Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the most pleasant, exhausting podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. My name is George Darden. I am an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. It is research time. You'll recall that a couple of weeks ago we decided to split our bi-weekly podcast on news and research into two different ones and we released the news one on Sunday and the research one on Thursday and so since it's Thursday this one is is now coming out to you and we have a little bit of research to share um, this is generally a shorter one right Patrick yes it is yeah and so we both talk about one or two pieces of research that have stood out to us that we've seen recently that's come across our desk um, either recent research or maybe maybe older research on a particular topic. Um, and I encourage you, reach out to us at, at george at itlcoaching.com, patrick at itlcoaching.com. Um, if there's something you want us to look into research-wise, we're happy to see what we can find. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners and a lot of our runners and a lot of our athletes – you know, we come from from workplaces where we're, we have to make decisions based on, you know, hard data, whether you're in marketing, you know, uh, sales, you know, data, you know, and, and empirical research is an important part of any um, decision that you make, at, you know, as a part of a, you know, large enterprise or really as a professional. And we want to take the same approach to our running, right? We don't want it just to be about, oh, I think it's we should do it this way because it's the way I've always done it. But, you know, you and I are constantly trading messages with each other during the week about, hey, I read this article here. I read this piece of research, that kind of a thing. And so for those of you who do take a bit more of, you know, an empirical bent or an, an academic bent towards your approach towards, um, you know, decision making, that's why we have these episodes. So it's not just about... Hey, here's a here's a story of of one time I did it this way and I've done it ever since. But you know, there's some real kind of hard evidence towards a lot of our convictions. Right on, right on, uh, for sure. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump right in. I'm I'm going to be talking about my research this week first, and you'll recall from a couple of weeks ago that I I'm down a little bit of a rabbit hole right now, um, having to do with with the differences between treadmill running and overground running. And I wanted to focus specifically last time on muscle activation and whether the muscle activation was the same in treadmill running and overground running. What I didn't realize when I was talking about that research a couple of weeks ago is that that's actually within the super niche of treadmill running versus overground running. That's actually kind of a hot topic right now. (laughs) Um, or at least it was a couple of years ago because it seems like there's a whole lot of stuff um, from about 2007 to about 2013 that very specifically focuses and builds on one another they all quote one another and everything about muscle activation related around um, around treadmill versus overground running now it's important to 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 kind of also um um mention two here, two quick places that I'm coming from. Um, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the first one is uh, coming from my own experience um, doing some flat treadmill running, some treadmill running at 0% prior to the to the Chicago Marathon last year. There's a lot of reasons why I underperformed in the Chicago Marathon in 2017, but for a variety of reasons, most of which are very subjective and most of which are, are not as quite as empirical as, as what Patrick was just describing here, I felt as if those runs didn't really benefit me all that much. Um, and and I wanted to try and wrap my head around that, particularly given the fact that um, I do feel that treadmill running has benefited me on several other occasions. Um, I'm not a runner who's against the treadmill. I don't refer to it as the treadmill or anything like that. I think it can actually be a really good tool. And so for me, I'm trying to figure out how to make it a useful tool, given that I used it in my build for Chicago in a way that I thought was not useful. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Um, and so, so that's one thing that, that, that I, I do need to make sure that I'm, I'm sort of sharing that bias there. Um, but I, I looked at a couple of articles this week, kind of continuing on that idea. Um, and then the other thing I should also mention is, is one reason why I'm interested in this too is because of the research that we talked about before around the way that your muscle groups tire differently during long races. Um, and so just kind of hearkening back a month now at this point, I feel like, uh, we talked about how, how your lower limbs, your ankles, um, and your shins and, and all the muscles and musculature that surround that part of your body, you use those more heavily in the early stages of a race, particularly of, of a long race, of a marathon or of an Ironman. Um, but then you switch to the larger muscle groups like your quads and your hips and that sort of thing later in the race. And that's problematic for two reasons. Number one, because those larger muscle groups use more energy, and so they're less efficient in that regard. Number two, because they, they store less mechanical en- energy, and so they're less efficient in that regard as well. And so it kind of begins this snowball effect, if you will, that, that you're now using these larger muscle groups, and you're becoming increasingly inefficient as you're going along. Um, and I argued that I think that the vapor fly, and then maybe in the future the carbon rocket from Hoka One One, um, I think one of the reasons why they might give you a little bit of a boost to make you 4% more efficient is because they help you use those lower legs a little bit longer. So that's kind of the, that, that's the landscape of the rabbit hole that I'm in right now. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and um, it makes sense because a lot of the rabbit holes that we go down are based on personal experience, right? Absolutely, We yeah. experience something and we say, how in the world did that happen? Okay, let's, di- let's dive deeper. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had a friend uh, this week, a, a friend and, and, and former training partner, um, Joseph, who, who actually texted me, and he and I ended up cha- trading a whole lot of, of texts about nutrition and older adults. And so when you get on the, the other side of 30, how, how does alcohol and sugar specifically affect you differently? And I told him I would do some research on that, and I'm going to, but I know that's another rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not ready to go down it yet until I'm out of this one. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, Joseph, if you're mentioning, don't worry. I, I haven't forgotten about you. But anyway. And being one who's now 31, I'm very interested to hear what you have to find. <laughs> right on, right on. Say, yeah, me. right on. Um, all right, so anyway, so, so let's talk real quickly about an article from 2007. So it was a few years ago in a journal called Isokinetics and Exercise Science. It was called Muscular Activity and Treadmill and Overground Running. So a nice, very straightforward title there. Yeah. Um, and uh, what they did is they measured, in particular, the muscle activity of three lower leg muscles muscles, uh, the tibialis anterior, which is effectively your shin muscle, um, the soleus, which is your lower calf muscle, the flat one that's attached to your Achilles, and the peroneus longus, which I have often referred to as the runner's muscle. It's the one that kind of goes inside of your calf, um, and I've always just noticed that it seems to be more pronounced in runners than in other athletes. Um, uh, they looked at the muscle activity of three 14 runners in those three different uh, those three different muscles, and they wanted to see how they differed between treadmill and overground running. Um, and what they did is they found uh, differing activation patterns in that peroneus longus, in that inside inside calf muscle there um, that runs along your your, your shin. Um, and they found that it had less activation in overground running. Okay. So you actually use that muscle less in overground running, um, which makes sense. Because it's actually an ankle stabilizer, and you'll remember we talked about how some people who do research, this specific type of research in this field, say that we have some sort of subconscious stumbling, about to fall down feeling when we're running on a treadmill, and and we try to stabilize ourselves more. Um, And so they said, 
there's there's more activation of this stabilizer when you're actually running on a treadmill, which I think is interesting. Um, less powerful activation on the treadmill. And so in other words, when you're pushing off using your soleus, um, you push off more powerfully when you're doing under, overground running, which just from a common sense point of view makes sense that you have to push off harder in order to force your body through space when you're doing overground running. Right, when the doing, ground's not moving underneath you. Exactly, as, as opposed to simply lifting your legs so the ground can move underneath you, right? Um, and so that's worth considering. Um, that's worth considering. Do you have? So I have another one I want to mention, too, that's similar. Do you want to talk about this one first, or you want me to go ahead and mention my other one? Go ahead and mention your other one. All right, so I'll mention the other one. This one, the other one is from 2013. It's called The Effect of Overground Versus Treadmill Running on Plantar Pressure uh, and the Influence of Fatigue. Um, and this is in a journal called Gait and Posture, another very specifically named journal that I'm happening on here. Um, and what they did is they took 27 recreational runners, 17 men, 10 women, uh, and they ran them on a treadmill and overground both before and after a fatigue protocol. Um, and the fatigue protocol consisted of a 30-minute run at 85% of their individual maximal aerobic speed. Uh, so in other words, they got them tired, um, and they had them run on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. Then come back the next day, got them tired again, had them run on, on overground. Um, and they compared that to was there any difference between you the way you ran on a treadmill when fatigued versus the way you ran overground when fatigued, right? Right. Uh, which I think is actually super important to consider, um, particularly when you're talking about marathon training or, or long course triathlon training where you, you specifically put fatigue into your legs in order to try and simulate your race. Right. Right. Um, and alas, unfortunately, they found there was no di- interaction between surface and fatigue, which actually might be a good thing. I say, I say unfortunately. Um, so in other words, if you're, if you're doing a post-strength run or something like that, um, it doesn't matter. Like the fatigue is not going to change the way that you run on the treadmill versus the way you run overground. Um, that, that using the treadmill is just as good as overground, um, whether you're fatigued or not. Um, but what they did find, so the secondary findings here were actually the interesting ones, I thought. They found that, that running on a treadmill um, uh, did have some real differences between their overground running, um, both when fatigued and when not fatigued. Uh, in particular, running on a treadmill uh, increased your contact time, i.e. the amount of time you spent with your foot on the treadmill. It modified the plantar or the, the pressure distribution in your foot. Um, it reduced and it also reduced peak pressure, so the maximum pressure, especially under the teal, uh, the under the heel, the medial metatarsals, and under your big toe compared to running underground. Um, on both surfaces, fatigue led to a reduced stride frequency and reduced peak pressure on the lateral heel and the big toe and increased load on the medial arch here. So anyway, the, the big finding related on, on, on this one that I thought was interesting was that, that it does change the pressure distribution, i.e. Uh, the peak pressure on your heel, your medial metatarsals, and your big toe. It makes them, it puts less pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? So here's my kind of takeaway or, or question, really. Does that mean if somebody's having issues in some of those areas that you can request, hey, let's run on the treadmill instead of outside? Yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's clearly one of the takeaways, yeah. at least from this particular study. Is that, that, so if you have somebody hey, who has problems with their heel, um, or, you know, they have, they have Achilles tendonitis or they have you know, something that, that, that when they come down hard on their heels, it hurts, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that happens to be. If you run on a treadmill, you put less peak pressure on the heel um, and so you would probably be doing less damage to, to, to continue to run there. Also, the medial metatarsals, also the big toe, which, by the way, is called the hallux in the literature. 
And just to clarify too, the metatarsal, that's like the middle of the foot, correct? Right, right. And okay. it's the medial it's the medial metatarsals, and so it's basically right there over the uh the 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 top of your foot there. Yeah. yeah. And then final question, does this mean there's and this may not be answered in the study, but does that mean there's increased pressure on the outside of your foot? Uh good question. It didn't it didn't say. Um and so so it 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 didn't say the fact that it didn't say means that they didn't find it. Right. Because they, 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 they would have said it increases peak pressure. Because they actually, in this study, they they had the people running basically with insoles in um, that measured pressure points at nine different places across the bottom of their foot. And I'm sure the outside of the foot was probably a, at least a couple of those, right? Um, and so, so if it reduced pressure on the outside of the foot, it would have said that. Um, or if it increased pressure on the outside of the foot, it would have said that. And all it said was that it reduces peak pressure under the heel and the medium metatarsals and the big toe. Okay. So I, I think I probably gave away then my big takeaway, <laughs> and that is that you know, you can actually run on the treadmill to help with injury prevention. Mm-hmm. It may not add quite as much value as running on ground as you, as you kind of mm-hmm. alluded to in your mm-hmm. you know, um, recap of your Chicago training, mm-hmm. but it can be used as a – um, mediation if you feel something coming up in certain areas like in your maybe your calf or lower mm-hmm. um i don't you know if, if you're feeling like hip pain i'm not sure you know we can kind of draw that connection that mm-hmm. seems a little too far from the changes mm-hmm. that we're seeing i also i say that we may find two years from now actually the changes in your foot pressure mm-hmm. you know have a huge ripple effect right up to your hip so mm-hmm. i don't want to speak too yeah. soon but for now i think the key takeaway is if you have a runner that's having some foot Achilles, you know, heel, you know, issues, you can look into starting to determine, okay, where exactly is it? Right. And is the treadmill running something we can do to keep you running while not adding to the injury? Particularly Achilles, because, you know, the first study I mentioned, mentioned the less powerful activation of the soleus. Mm-hmm. Um, and your soleus is tied directly to your Achilles. And so right. presumably, if you're, if you're not only re- reducing the peak pressure on the heel, but also your, your, activating your soleus less powerfully that's putting less stress on pressure on your achilles and Mm so so running on the treadmill uh in some ways it can keep you running um while while maybe nursing that injury a little bit or or taking some pressure off of it um now mind you we should probably say actually at this point um that that we're not advising people to go out and run while injured necessarily (laughs) i i I think Um, maybe instead of saying injured we should say you know i don't know Struggling with an issue or something, yeah, yeah. yeah. Issues. That, is, there's a bit. Diff, there's a difference between an issue versus an injury. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, I do think that's important to kind of keep in mind. Um, um, I also think it's interesting that the different activation patterns within the the peroneus longus, the stabilizer on the treadmill, that you're using your stabilizers more when you're actually on the treadmill. Um, I think that's really kind of fascinating, and it kind of makes me wonder if there's if there's maybe some crossover between treadmill running and trail running. Um, that that, uh, maybe as your maybe a good way to trail for train for trail races in addition to running on trails is also in a very weird way is also is is potentially running on treadmills Mm -hmm. i i have said before that i feel like running on treadmills if i if i do spend some time running on the treadmill i feel like i ultimately become a more balanced runner Mm -hmm. um and and i think that's that might be why is that over time that that I, I, I'm working those ankle stabilizers and and I become more balanced, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Final thoughts on that one. Two quick final thoughts. So one, I struggled with some foot issues and issues in high school, mm-hmm. and what it really boils down to, and you can probably you probably appreciate this more than me being you a former high school coach, 
when you're a high school athlete, your body's changing. Yeah. And, you know, one body part changes and the other doesn't. Like, yeah. it's it's not a linear. Yeah. And so I remember I had some foot issues. That's, that's literally what growing pains are. Yeah. Yeah. And because, and when you would watch me on the treadmill at, like, age 16, there would literally be a three-month span where it looked like I was Godzilla trying to run <laughs> from, like, the knee down. Because, like, the foot would collapse on itself and it was just a disaster. <laughs> and so all that is to say... When you do have foot issues where there's some some structural tweaks, so to speak, it can have a huge impact on the rest of your body and the rest of your, your running. Second, um, for sure. one thing, and this is kind of a theme we have throughout this podcast, the human body is not, even though running is a very simple topic, and even though people ask us, how do you do a podcast on running? Isn't it very simple? <laughs> like, what do you talk about? It's fascinating how complex the human body is and how complex the movement of running actually can be. I agree. Especially endurance running where small differences compound on themselves so and become big differences over, you know, a period of time of a 5K, a 10K, a marathon, an Ironman, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um and and I think, you know, if, if, even if you look at it sort of in, in from an evolutionary point of view, I mean, human beings are are very highly evolved to run. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, there's there's uh, a lot of belief inside the scientific community that, that our, our very highly evolved running abilities is one of the things that ultimately catapulted us to the place in the animal kingdom where we are now. So um, very good. Um, all right, man, tell me about yours. Yeah, uh, so my study is an interesting one because like most of the studies I choose to highlight on this podcast – it provides academic empirical evidence that I was right all along. <laughs> That's not how you're supposed to use research, Patrick. Um, you're, you're not supposed to use research to prove what you thought all along. Uh, so specifically, yeah, that's right. Um, I have a career in politics ahead of me. Right. Um, but specifically, a, a new study suggests that running on autopilot or kind of running you know, almost naturally without thinking about running form might actually be the most efficient approach to running. Okay, so a study published in the Journal of Sports Science, not quite the mouthful that, that your research um, <laughs> journals have been, asked 12 runners to run at a moderate pace on a treadmill in a virtual, virtual reality setting. So they were surrounded by large screens kind of all around them to kind of simulate the experience of running around a trail or running around a pond while just running on a treadmill. That way it was a controlled setting, it was a controlled environment, but they kind of got the look and feel of running on a trail visually. And that's an important detail which I'll get into a bit more in a second um and what the study wanted to do was they wanted to look at their running economy um and measure it under three different conditions first they wanted to measure their running economy when the runners were told to focus on their running form they were also wanted to then measure their running economy when the runners were told to focus on their breathing then they wanted to measure their running economy when uh they were told to simply focus on the virtual surroundings right don't think about your running just Look at the pretty trees as they pass by. Okay. Um, and the experiment was designed to test a theory in motor learning that distinguishes between, you know, directing your focus internally and externally, right? So, you know, are you going to run faster when you focus on running faster and not you focus on the perfect running form, so to speak, or when you are kind of on autopilot, as I a term I used earlier, where you're just kind of in a bit of a more of a natural flow state. And there is a large body of research that suggests that focusing externally, you know, on the, the consequences of your actions rather than on the actions themselves, actually produces better results, right? And you see that in other sports too, right? Um, so you'll do better shooting a basketball free throw if you are, you know, kind of giving the ball and said, all right, stand here, 
look at the hoop and go as opposed to all right put your finger here this finger here this hand here this hand here and really focusing on the minute details um so back in 2009 the same researcher who published this study um oh and i don't know if i actually said this but they did find that runners had the the best economy when they focus on their virtual surroundings right and then it got worse when they were told to focus on their running form and then it got even worse when they were told to focus on their breathing Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so before you go to the other one that, that I know you wanted to link to this one from, from the researcher before, um, that didn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. And so 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 maybe I shouldn't criticize you for, for, for that, but, but I, I have actually said um, to to multiple people, um, because in particularly inside the triathlon community, um, that that you, you don't need to you shouldn't be making conscious changes to your running form. That that's that's um, that, that that's going to cause problems if you have inefficiencies in your running form um, and it's related to some sort of inflexibility or some sort of strength imbalances then yeah by all means fix those and become a more efficient runner but you fix those by addressing the strength imbalances or or the flexibility and mobility issues right you don't you don't do that by by trying to concentrate on landing your foot in a different place um, I think that, that that that's problematic particularly right now because there's all these you know pose running and and uh chi running and and um even like all the the more general conversations around being a four-foot striker and stuff like that you know people have tried to try to very consciously change their running uh to their detriment um and so so yeah i'm not uh i'm not surprised by that at all that you become less efficient and then ultimately over time that makes you slower and ultimately over time that can make you injured yeah, and what's interesting is they found that their running form actually got a little worse, or their running economy got a little worse when they focused on their form specifically. Right. But what's interesting is people actually got worse in different ways. Okay. Some people bent their knees more when they thought about their form. Some people shortened their stride more when they thought about their form. So it, it's it's pretty interesting to look at. And then with breathing specifically, when they were told to focus on their breathing, they took slower breaths and got less oxygen. Um, yeah, okay. So... That that makes okay. That that being the mechanism, that makes more sense. When you first said when they focus on the breathing, they got even slower. I was like, wait, what? I mean, how's that? But that makes actually more sense because because right. no, nobody wants to be that. <laughs> nobody wants to be that person, right? Mm-hmm. And so you say, hey, focus on your breathing. They're going to try and breathe less, mm-hmm. right? They're going to try not to breathe heavily to keep it controlled. Yeah, and yeah. and to not be the not to be the person who you know is is not to be the mouth breather. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, all right. So keep going. So. That's all. Actually, I really had because um, the the previous study actually doesn't add too too much to this conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, but the message seems pretty straightforward here, and that is that you know instinct- instinctively how to run and how to breathe. So stop trying to tinker with the details. Right. However, it is probably good that we do play some devil's advocate and kind of look into this a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, you know, not all ways of thinking about running form are equivalent. So, for example, in this study, the runners were told, pay attention to the push-off and the forward movement of your legs. Okay. Now, you've been a run coach longer than me. I have never heard somebody say, a run coach say to a runner, pay attention to the push-off and the forward movement of your legs. I, I, I've, the forward moving your legs, no. I have heard coaches say, pay attention to your push-off, mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't, they don't say those words. They'll, they'll talk about, it's more about like ground contact time, or they'll talk about, I've heard coaches say, you should run as if you're trying to move the ground below you, mm-hmm. right? Which is, by the, by the way, that's really bad advice. Yeah. Um, but, but as if you're trying to push the ground back, 
mm-hmm. right? Um, and and so I, I've heard that before. Um, well, and, and the, I would say too, the running form advice I've generally heard has been more general, mm-hmm. right? Take shorter strides, don't lean too far forward when running mm-hmm. downhill. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to look do some studies into: is there a way to make advice on running form a bit more general? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what do, you know does that have a better effect? Yeah. So that is one you know potential future piece of research. Yeah, and 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 there are I mean, and so so here I am kind of bashing the idea of of form and pose running and all that sort of thing, but at the same time, there, I mean, there is such a thing as an, a, a more efficient form than another. Mm-hmm. Your feet should be landing under your center of gravity. You should not be overstriding. Yeah. Right. Um. It's just that most people don't overstride. Um, and then, but the idea that, that you need to be landing on your midfoot or your forefoot, I had somebody say that to me at a race yesterday. You don't, ridiculous. <laughs> um, and, and, and what's more, it's going to change over time. You know, we, we, we talked about all that data, that trove, that trove of data that came out of the IAAF, um, uh, recently when they, they measured all the people at the, was it the world championships or the Olympics? World championships. The world championships last year. Yeah. And, and saw how much your, your strike patterns actually changed throughout the course of a race right great point um and so so yeah the idea that there's this one perfect form and that everybody's going to look exactly the same that's incorrect um you 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 should be landing on your center of gravity but that's about that's about all i'm going to say about that um you know and your your hips should be fairly stable but but that's 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 about it um yeah. and that's going to look different for different people yeah and i would say my one of my big takeaways from this you know, piece of research is when thinking about running form, I don't think it's a good idea to think about running form every time you run. I don't think it's a good idea to go out for an easy run and be like, I'm going to focus on mid four foot striking. I, I just mm-hmm. don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. However, I do think a lot of experienced runners do use form running as kind of a periodic like checkup, right? You're just kind of checking in on some cues that you know are important to you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and, and so that could be where running form can, can enhance or thinking about running form can enhance your running and your training where you say, Hey, I know when I'm tired, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. So a, if I'm training and I know I'm doing this too early in a run, I maybe need to back off. Mm-hmm. And it's also good to maybe do a bit of a self check as you mentioned, where it's like something very, very simple. Like, Hey, let's make sure I'm not doing this. Let's make sure I'm d- doing this very, very general basic um, movement more so than like focusing on, Leg so, swing or push off. So, so, so what you're saying is that paying attention to your form as a means of just kind of assessing your fatigue levels. Is that yes. kind of what you're saying? Okay. So, so, so you can rather than saying, "Hey, I need to do this more. I need to change this." You can actually, you know, you can sort of do a quick check in with your form around mile three or something like that, and say, "Okay, is this an indication of is something happening which indicates that I'm more tired than I thought I would, and maybe I need to change my goals for this run?" Correct. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but the big takeaway from this study though, is that if you're checking in with yourself at three miles and say, Oh, this is happening. Let me change it back. Then yeah, you're, you're, you're not doing, you're doing more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think unless you've got a good reason to think your form can be changed or improved, which we haven't seen in the literature so far, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be an uphill battle convincing me at least that, that's something to focus on with runners where we say, all right, we're going to change their running form or we're going to kind of force force feed this running for, form onto an individual. Right, right. Um, well, all right, everybody. I think that wraps us up here on our short midweek research podcast. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, George. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. <laughs>